0: Well, good morning, Living Stones. It is great to be with you guys today. Uh, great to be upright, finally. Um, I appreciate everybody that was uh, praying for for me last week. Uh, it was a uh, miserable couple days. Felt like I absolutely got hit by a truck. Thankfully, it was not um, COVID. It was the mother of all sinus infections. And uh, good news is I have a great wife that takes good care of me. And uh, so I'm thankful for... Uh, to be on the mend. You can still hear it a little bit in my voice, so I apologize uh, in advance, but it's going to be a great day today. Um, I also just want to say thank you to, to Lowell for pinch-hitting for me last week, um, last minute. Uh, we, I tell you, we have a, a great eldership and a great staff here that are willing to um, help, you know, share, carry the load, support one another, and I'm just uh, so thankful for each and every one of them, and uh, make sure you, uh, you, you hug or give our uh, elders and our staff high five, just let them know that you love and appreciate all of them too. So um, this morning to begin, uh, we're going to just kind of daydream for a moment. We're going to pretend, and I I want you just to imagine for a moment that you are just insanely rich, like insanely rich. So I like that you are so rich that you're sitting down and you're working on your finances, you're paying all your bills. And all of a sudden, you realize at the end of the month you have an extra an extra five hundred million dollars, sitting there that you did not know and did not realize that you had. Like, I mean, to think about it, like that—that'd be a good problem to have, you know. And, and you say, "Wow, like I, I had no idea this was sitting here." And, and so, so think for for a moment to yourself, what would I spend that on? All right, this this five hundred million dollars is just burning a hole in your pocket. And you're just saying, "All right, I I just I." I need to get rid of this. I need to unload it. I need to to get this somewhere. What am I going to spend it on? And so just think for a moment, like if you had that spare $500 million, what would you choose to spend it on? Now, I I could think of a a thing or two, and so if you you happen to fall into some money like that, you let me know, and I would be more than happy to help you be able to spend it. There's some some great things and great projects I know that we could work on um, here with that. But if you are the Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, you would buy artwork. And so I I want to show you a a picture right now. This is a picture of the Salvador Mundi. Uh, I don't know if this rings a bell or you recognize this painting uh, at all, but uh, it's a picture of Salvador Mundi. It's Latin for Savior of the World, and it's a picture of Jesus holding a crystal orb. And and a number of years back, this is about four years ago now, in 2017, it sold at auction for 450.3 million dollars for a painting. Like, let that just like sink in for a moment. 450.3 million dollars for a painting, and and this painting it has it definitely has a unique history. The Salvador Mundi it it changed hands several times in the first hundred or so years um, after it had been painted. And then it actually went missing. It, it was lost for a period of time. And then it was rediscovered in an estate of a Louisiana businessman that he had, he had purchased it. And, and by this point, it was actually fairly damaged. You know, the, it wasn't painted on canvas like a lot of paintings are. It was actually painted on wood. And, and it was fairly, fairly damaged. And, and it sold at auction in 2005 for a measly $10,000 which still seems like an awful lot of money to spend on a painting, if you ask me. But it sold for $10,000 in 2005, um, where it was attributed to a student of Leonardo da Vinci named Giovanni Bertolfio. All right, And so that they, they originally thought that this was one of Leonardo da Vinci's students who painted this picture. Well, the, the group of investors and, and art historians um, that bought it, they began to work on it. They tried to restore it. You know, like I mentioned, it was very damaged. Um, and the more that they worked on it, those that, that, those that had purchased it, they, be, they became convinced that it was not painted by one of da Vinci's students, but it was actually painted by Leonardo himself. And so they brought in some uh, da Vinci experts, and they actually authenticated it and declared that, yes, indeed, the Salvador Mundi was a genuine Leonardo. And this fact alone just skyrocketed the value of, of this painting from being sold just a few years earlier at $10,000 Um, Before, you know, it was just this damaged painting of Jesus holding an orb. But now, you know, because they declared and and, uh, authenticated it as a genuine Leonardo by, you know, one of the greatest and most famous paintings in in all of history. And so it goes on in 2017 to be sold for $450.3 million. I mean, it's it's mind-blowing to say the least. But what I find interesting, what I find so unique about, about this painting, is nothing necessarily changed about the painting itself. It was still the same painting it was when it sold in 2005 for only10,000 dollars. But what was different was that there were some experts that came in and said, "No, this is a genuine, this is a real Leonardo da Vinci painting." And those who were bidding on it, they had faith in the experts. They had faith in those that came forward and said, yes, this is a genuine Leonardo. I mean, that, that takes some, some real faith that you're trusting these guys that claim to be experts and know what it is. Now, to be fair, there's some speculation that it is not a, an authentic Leonardo, but Crown Prince Ben Salman he had so much faith, he had so much trust in the fact that it was a genuine Leonardo that he was willing to spend nearly half a billion dollars on this one, on this one painting. And so we're, we're continuing our series today, today that we've been calling A Jesus-Centered Life. And in the first week of this series, we were talking about how there was something so unique and special about Jesus. There was something that was so magnetic and attractive about Him that people just flocked to Him. They wanted to be around Him. They wanted to hear His teaching. They wanted to be nearby. They wanted to touch Him, be close and nearby to Him. And, and the sad news is that so often Right now, we see so many people who profess to be followers of Jesus that are actually doing the exact opposite, where they're actually repelling people away from the faith by the way that they speak and the way that they, they act. But I'm convinced, I'm convinced that if we truly start to live a life that is centered around Jesus, if we start living a life that is centered around Him, that we're going to be, become every bit as magnetic and attractive as Jesus was. I think that's what God has called us to be. Now, this begins in in the first week of our series. I shared with you that it all begins with an invitation that Jesus extends to us. He invites us into relationship with Him. He invites us into His rest. He invites us to, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow Him, to live a dramatically different life than how we typically find ourselves. And if you weren't here for either the first Sunday or even last Sunday when, when Lowell spoke, I'd encourage you to go back and, and listen to those messages this week. But, but I mentioned just a, a moment ago about the incredible faith that was put in the experts that declared the Salvador Mundi a genuine Leonardo da Vinci painting. And, and this concept of faith is so central to the story of Jesus, where as, as you read through the four Gospels, the people's faith that, that are around him is actually mentioned 44 different times. Sometimes it's mentioned in positive lights where it's talking about, oh, they had such great faith. There's other times where, where Jesus was critical of people who demonstrated a lack of faith. And, and so what I want to do is I want to begin with what faith actually is. Let, let, you know, let's kind of have a, a working definition for us here today. Now, if you've been around the church world for any period of time, You've probably heard the Hebrews 11.1 definition of faith, or some version of it, that, that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now I'm going to break this down a little bit and give us kind of a simple working definition for us today and saying that faith is trusting in something that you cannot explicitly prove. It's trusting in something that you cannot explicitly prove yourself. in this definition, it really has two parts to it. There are two parts to, of this definition of faith. The first one is that there is an intellectual assent. It, it's kind of saying, all right, I believe something to be true. All right, that's the first part, and that, that that's essential in faith. The second part is actually trust. All right, we can't just and acknowledge that, yes, we believe something to be true, but then there also has to be a, 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 a trust in there, relying on the fact that that something is true. So let me let me give you an example for a moment. I, we have a stool right here. The The intellectual assent would be that, yes, indeed, this is a stool, and I believe that the stool was made and created to support somebody's weight when they sit down on it. All right, that, that's the, the first part of it. But the trust aspect comes when I actually come and sit down on the stool, when I actually put my weight on it, that I don't just acknowledge, yes, it's a stool, yeah, I believe it was built to, to hold somebody my size, but that I actually would take the, t- the, the trust that, yes, it's going to hold me when I put my full entire weight on it. That's, that's what biblical trust is. It's not just acknowledging something to be true, but it's also trusting in that fact as well. Now, I couldn't prove, before sitting on that, I could not prove to you that, yes, indeed, this stool was going to hold me. I could make an assumption. I, I could guess, and thankfully it did, but it takes both parts of this for this to be true, to acknowledge that, yes, it is a stool. Yes, I think it will support me, but then also the trust of actually taking the step and putting my, my weight on, on that stool. It, it's, we need both parts of, of that definition to be there, let me, let me give you an example, because simply saying that we believe Jesus to be the incarnate Son of God who, who died on the cross for our sins, that, that's important. That's the intellectual assent part of it. But that's also not enough, because James, the brother of Jesus, he actually says, well, even demons believe that. Demons agree with those same exact facts. So there, there needs to be another step. But when we when we fully and personally rely on the death of Christ as our only uh, as the only atoning sacrifice for our sins, we, we kind of have to sit in the chair of salvation. Does that make sense? It, it's not just believing something to be true, but it's actually a, a, a matter of putting ourselves and trusting in that fact that we know to be true. This, this, defini- this definition of faith doesn't apply just to salvation, but it applies to our everyday walk and everyday aspect of our lives as well. And, and so there's, there's numerous instances as you read through the the life and the account of Jesus, where he encountered people and commended them for having great faith. For having great faith. One one such occurrence happens in Matthew chapter 15, where Jesus, he actually left Israel for a period of time. He went to a region called Tyre and Sidon. And this was, again, it was outside of Israel. This is where the Gentiles lived. And and back in Jesus' time, the Jews didn't think very highly of the Gentiles, didn't didn't think very highly of, of non-Jews. They thought of them as unclean. Oftentimes, they would refer to, to the Gentiles as, as dogs. And there was a Gentile woman who heard about Jesus, and while he was in Tyre and Sidon, came up to him. And, and she, you know, she was having a, a really difficult time. Her daughter had been demon-possessed. She was suffering terribly at this time. And, and Jesus' disciples, as unfortunately, as they were often prone to do, is they tried to shoo her away they try to say, all right, stop bothering him, leave him alone, get out of here. But, but she persisted. She continued to, to ask Jesus, saying, all right, will, will you help me, will you help me? And she doesn't just ask him once. She comes to him several times and says, will you help me? My daughter is, is, is being tormented right now. Will you come and will you help? And, and Jesus says one of the most amazing things in Scripture, in, in Matthew chapter 15, verse 28, says, then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed in that moment. Jesus has a very similar interaction with another Gentile in in Matthew chapter 8, where uh, with another Gentile who is a Roman centurion. And and many of you probably know a Roman centurion was a Roman soldier soldier who was in charge of a hundred other Roman soldiers. Now let's let me remind you that Rome was Israel's occupier at the time. They kept Israel under, under their thumb. And this Roman centurion, he hears about Jesus, and he comes to him and he has this conversation with him in, in Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 5. He says, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal? <coughs> Excuse me, heal him? The centurion replied, "Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell one to go and he goes, and I tell that one go or come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it." When Jesus heard this, he was amazed, and he said to those following him, "Truly I tell you, I have found I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith, then Jesus said to the centurion, "Go, let it be done as you believed it would." And his servant was healed in that moment. Now, it, here in 21st century America, I don't think we can fully appreciate how scandalous those two interactions really were. Like to Jesus's followers at, at the time, he was he was commending the faith of Gentiles, of non-believers. Like the, the Jews, they, they were God's people. We don't associate with them. They're, they're, they're not, they're not um, holy enough. They, they don't fulfill the Mosaic Covenant. They don't follow the rules. They don't get to participate in the benefits of being one of the Jews, being one of God's people. And Jesus comes along and he says to that woman that she possessed great faith. That he said to the centurion, I've not found anybody in all of Israel who has faith like yours. I mean, think about that. Like, I mean, it, it was, to, to, to Jesus' followers, those that were with him, I mean, they would have been shocked to hear such statements. But like I said two weeks ago, when, when Jesus extends that invitation to us, he does it to, to us regardless of our, of our background, our past, our age, our gender, our ethnicity. When, when David was, was anointed to be king, Samuel says, you know, man looks at the outward appearance, but God, he looks at the heart. And both, both the Gentile woman and the centurion, not only did they have an intellectual understanding that Jesus was a good man, but they also trusted that he could and that he would heal. They'd seen the stories, they'd heard the stories before about blind men being given sight, lame men walking, and they believed and they trusted. And Jesus, he responds to faith. He responds to faith, not not like a, a, a genie where you know we rub the lamp, we say the magic words, and presto, it happens. Like that, that's not what it is. But when we act in faith, and when we when we speak in faith, when we uh, pray in faith, things happen. It might not happen immediately, but things begin to happen when we pray and we speak and we act and we believe in faith. And I find it so unique that Jesus reserves his his greatest commendation. And greatest praise for faith to those who were outsiders, to those who, who were despised in their day and his biggest criticisms of lack of faith is actually reserved for those that were closest to him, for those that were those that were considered religious, those that were nearby. And over and over again he, he questions, why, why did you have such little faith there? I mean one example would be when Jesus was walking on the water and he beckons Peter to come out of the boat. And Peter, he takes that step out of the boat, and he begins to walk on the water, moving towards Jesus. But he, he, he starts to look at the, at the wind and the waves, and, and he, he becomes afraid, and he, all of a sudden he starts to sink beneath the waves. And Jesus reaches out real quick, grabs him by the hand, and he says, You have little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Now, now before we criticize Peter, I think we should actually commend him. for. I mean, how many of us would be willing to step out of that boat? to do what Peter did in that moment and take that, that step of faith. But I don't, I don't think, I don't believe Jesus was actually being harsh with Peter in that moment. He's saying, you know, like, oh, you've little faith. Why did you doubt? I don't think he was being harsh or critical. I, I, in some ways, I, I think of it when, when my children were younger, and I'd be in the pool, and they'd be standing on the edge of the pool, and I'd be, you know, beckoning them, here, j- jump. You know, let, I'll, I'll catch you. Come to me. And sometimes they would, sometimes they would walk away, and and, and it, would, it would just be like kind of my plea. of like, all right, trust me. Like, I, I'm here for you. Just trust me. You, you, don't, need to be, you don't need to be afraid. Um, I mean, another example would be when, when the storm blew and Jesus was asleep at the bottom of the boat. And the, his disciples, they start freaking out. You know, oh, we're going to drown. We're going to die. And they wake him up. And he says why? You have little faith. Don't worry. Don't worry. And Jesus calms the sea. Another one would be in Matthew chapter 17. It says, starting in verse 14, it says, When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. He said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He said, he has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Jesus goes on to to heal him, and a few verses later, he says, then the, the disciples came to Jesus in private, and they asked, why couldn't we drive it out? Why couldn't we drive this evil spirit out? of the man. And he replied, because you have such little faith. Truly I tell you that if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to the mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Like he uses this moment and their question of why couldn't we do it as a, te- as a teachable moment for them, of, of te- teaching them something about the kingdom of God, that, that it, our fa- we only need a small bit of faith in order to move mountains. And, and over and over again, in Jesus' ministry, things happen. Things begin to change when people operate in faith, when people speak in faith, when they when we, they begin to to believe and to truly trust. The, the woman with the issue of blood, he said, your faith has healed you. The ten lepers, your faith has made you well. The blind beggar, your faith has healed you. And so for us here today, what can we do to grow and to, to build our faith. If, if Jesus responds to faith, again we're not trying. We're not trying to manipulate in any way. But when Jesus responds to faith, what can we do as as modern twenty first century believers to grow and, and increase our faith? Because, like I said, God won't be manipulated. That, that would be futile. I, I mean, he he cannot. He will not be manipulated. But if we want to see changes in our church, and in our city, and in our families, and our finances, and and in our children, what can we do to learn how to, how to speak and believe words of faith? It's not hocus-pocus. It's not magic words. But what can we do to grow and to learn how to speak and believe words of faith? And there's three things I believe we can do right now today to grow in our own faith. The first one would be is we just need to ask. We just need to ask, and it, and it feels very simplistic. It feels very, very easy. But in Luke 7, 17, 5, Jesus' disciples, they make just a very simple request, and they just said, Lord, increase our faith. They just ask, Lord, w- would you increase our faith? Would you help us grow in in our faith right here? And I'll tell you, like, this is something that I've been just speaking to you right now, the heart of your pastor, something I've been challenged with a lot lately. Because I want to be a man of faith. I want to be a pastor of faith. I want, I want to believe God for big things. For you, for our church, for my family. And I've found myself too often believing way too small. Way too small. And it begins with asking, Lord, would you grow my faith? Would you increase my faith? Would you help me to trust you more every single day? And this is not name it and claim it prosperity theology. But this is saying, what would it look like for us to incorporate that request as a part of our everyday prayers? God, would you help me to trust you more today than I did yesterday? Will you help me to believe you today for things I didn't believe you for yesterday? Will you help me to grow in my faith? There's a a beautiful, honest exchange that I love that takes place in Mark's gospel between Jesus and a father whose son is being possessed by a spirit. You, you, You hear this I mean, it's a common thing that Jesus dealt with and interacted with. And in Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 21, Jesus asked the boy's father, he said, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, will you take pity on us and help us? If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. And, and here's, here's the part that I just think is so beautiful. Immediately, immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Like, think about that for a moment. Like, how raw and honest that is. Where you're saying, I, Jesus, I believe you can do this. But there's a little bit of doubt that I still have. There's some areas I'm still struggling a little bit with. I want to believe. Jesus, will you help me overcome my unbelief? He didn't pretend like he had it all together, but he was real. He was honest. Lord, I believe you can heal my son, but will you help me overcome my unbelief? And aren't, aren't we like that a lot? Lord, Lord, we trust you, but there's times it feels really hard. There's, there's times where I feel like my faith is kind of shaky, where it's wavering, where I, I want to believe, but I have these nagging doubts in the back of my head. Times where I find it difficult to trust. Difficult to have faith or to believe Him for something. And and maybe, maybe for you, maybe you've been praying something for a long time. Or someone for a long time and you've just not seen the fruit of that yet. Maybe you've been praying for a wayward child who's walked away from the faith. Or praying for a healing that hasn't yet come. Maybe you've been Praying for freedom from an addiction or a habit, and you just hasn't—you've just not seen that victory there yet. There's nothing wrong with saying, "Lord, I believe. I believe You can do this. I trust You." But will You help me overcome my unbelief? Like I'm having some doubts. Help me overcome them. Don't let me be ruled by my unbelief. But Jesus, increase my faith. There's nothing wrong with praying a very honest prayer like that. And so, one of the ways we grow in our faith is by asking. The second one is we grow in our faith by hearing the Word of God. By hearing the Word of God. Romans 10, 17, in the New Living Translation, says, so faith comes by hearing, that is, hearing the good news about Christ. If you grew up in the, with the King James Version or New King James Version, you probably hear it, you know, and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so when we spend times, when we spend time not just reading our Bible, but truly like absorbing it, thinking on it, pondering it, Scripture teaches us to meditate on the Word of God day and night. And and when it, when it, when the Scripture talks about meditating, it's not talking about you know some somebody sitting on a hilltop with their legs crossed, their eyes closed, their finger and their thumb together, chanting some mantra. You know, that's not it at all. But the Hebrew word for meditate is hagach. And it's the same root word that we, that we get to, that describes a cow chewing its cud. And what do, what do cows do when they chew their cud? Like, they start chomping on it for a bit. They swallow it down. They'll spit it back up, and they'll start chewing on it some more. And they'll swallow it down. I mean, it, it, it kind of gives this impression of, like, processing through something working working it through working it over and over in your head allowing the word of God to not just be words on a page that you're reading but that we begin like internalizing it and thinking about it how does this apply to me right now where where I am like come coming to church hearing the word of God, spending time in your Bible each day these are these are so important in us growing and building our own faith like the, the people that Jesus encountered the, the Gentile woman, the, the Roman centurion, like they'd heard stories about what Jesus had done. They didn't know the scriptures like we have them right now. They were Gentiles. They didn't even have like the, the Hebrew scriptures. But they saw with their eyes what Jesus was up to. And it built and increased their faith. They, they heard the stories. They saw the evidence. And they said, there's something here. There's something different about him. And I don't know about you, but man, there's plenty of times where Where I've been low. And I've I've been maybe discouraged. Maybe my faith has wavered at times. And and that I've opened up my the scriptures and I've been encouraged and had my faith increased through God's word. Like reading about how God used flawed people like Abraham and Moses and Gideon and David and Paul and Peter. Like I I mean I could go on and on. Like it it revives and refreshes me, saying, God, if God could could use jokers like them, surely like He can do something in my life too. If God has done it before, surely I can believe Him to do big things for me right now as well. And so we, we grow our faith by asking, by spending time in the Word of God, hearing the Word of God. And lastly, we, we can increase our faith by practicing it, by, put, by putting it into practice. Because faith is like a muscle in a way. Like the more you use it, the stronger it becomes. But the less we use it, if you if you neglect it, it begins to atrophy. It gets it gets weaker. And and most many of you probably know I I went on a backpacking trip with a friend of mine last September. And when I first started training and getting ready for that backpacking trip, I thought I was gonna die. Like I, I mean like I was I was overwhelmed like putting forty plus pounds in your pack. And walking for miles and miles and miles with that, and and now it was obviously hard to train for. Like where we hiked, it was like elevations over ten thousand feet. Well, there's nothing like that I can train with, you know, here in northern Indiana. But I had to practice. I had to build up, and and so slowly, when I, when I I'd go out, and I mean, Angela can attest to this. I'd go out and I'd put my full pack on, and I'd just walk around our neighborhood. I'd walk up the little hill that's you know, just down the, the block from us, and, and slowly I began to get better. I got stronger. Now, the, the weight never got lighter. Somebody needs to hear that. The, the weight never got lighter. I just got better at being able to handle it over longer distances. And it's the same thing with faith. When we begin to practice exercising faith, the easier it becomes to trust God later on. Angel and I, we were having a conversation a few days ago about Abraham. And I think this is kind of the journey that God took Abraham on. That when when God first spoke to Abram, and he said, all right, I want you to leave everything you have ever known, only place you've ever lived, only family, all of it, I want you to leave that and go to a place that I'm going to show you. All right? God didn't spell it out for Abraham. Harry, this is where we're going to go. He just said, hey, I want you just to walk. Take a step. And I'll let you know when we get there. I'll let you know when, we, when we've arrived. And, and Abraham, he had to take that first step of faith. He had to say, okay, God, I'm trusting you. I'm going, I'm going to do it. And then God told him in his old age that he was going to have a son, that, that him and, his, and he was old, his wife was old, and said, all right, you're going to have a son. Not only are you going to have a son, you're going to be the father of a great nation. And I would love to be able to tell you Abraham just believed in, all right, I'm on board. But his faith staggered. It stumbled a little bit. He got impatient. He had Ishmael with Hagar. But even through that, he learned to trust that God, At the, when the timing was right, Sarah became pregnant, gave birth to Isaac. Like he learned to have trust. He learned to have faith. And then comes one of the most confusing and difficult stories in Scripture where God tells Abraham, all right, the son that you've been waiting forever for, I want you to go take him up on the hillside and I want you to sacrifice him. Now, think about that for a moment. Abraham had faith and he trusted that God knew what was best. And eventually, if you know the story, God provided the ram and Isaac was spared. But through this entire journey of Abraham's life, he had to work that faith muscle. And it took time, it wasn't perfect there were times that he doubted there were times that he struggled there were times he did some really stupid things but he tried to work that faith muscle and and the more he practiced walking in faith and believing the easier it became when difficult times ha- when difficult times came along and hard things were asked of him that he was able to succeed in some of those because he had worked that faith muscle often before that and i believe the same thing for us sometimes we just need to take that step, that we're just going to say, you know, I'm going to trust God no matter what, regardless of what it looks like around me right right now, even though it seems crazy and there's no logical reason for me to do so. God, I'm just going to trust you. And when we start to see God's faithfulness, when we start to see that he shows up, that he's present, that he follows through, that he answers that prayer, it makes it easier for us the next time and easier the time after that to trust him. When, When we... When you can look back and you can see the track record of God showing up, of God responding, when you, when you step out of faith, it makes it easier moving forward to do that same thing. Now, I want, I want to kind of close out our time here this morning. I want to um, share with you about a man named George Mueller. I don't know if any of you are familiar with, with George Mueller at all. But the story of, of him, he, he was just a, a simple, a very simple man Of incredible faith. And he was one of the founders of the uh, Plymouth Berean movement and was the director of the Ashley Down Orphanage in Bristol, England. In in fact, during his lifetime, he actually established five different orphanages around England where he cared for more than 10,000 orphans throughout the course of his life. An incredible man of faith. And from the start of his ministry with with orphans, he resolved that he was never going to ask for funds from people, nor was he going to borrow money. He was never going to ask anybody to help support the orphanages. He wasn't going to borrow money. That if they had a need, they were just going to pray. They were going to pray and they were going to just ask and trust God for it. He, George Mueller, he didn't want to make a name for himself, but he just had faith that God was going to supply his needs. He was going to supply the needs for him and for his wife and for the, the hundreds of kids that they took care of on a daily basis. And there's there's if, if you read accounts and biographies of his life. There's numerous stories where there there was times where they had nothing. They had no food, no milk, they had no supplies. They had nothing to give to the to the kids that were that were in their care. And without fail his philosophy was, you know what, we're gonna pray. We're gonna believe. We're gonna trust that God is going to supply the need. And time after time after time God did. They would receive donations at just the right moment. God faithfully, you know, just provided for them supernaturally over and over and over again. And again, this is not, this is not prosperity gospel theology. That's, that's not what this is at all. It's saying, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to have faith in you. I'm going to believe you for big things. And, and George Mueller, his life is one of prayer, of faith, and of trust. And if there's any, anybody that we should listen to when it comes to living out a life of faith, it would be George Mueller. And I want to share a, a quote from you or with you from something he said uh, a little while before he died where he had seen God show up time and time again in his life. And he said, God delights to increase the faith of His children. God finds delight in increasing the faith of His children. We ought, instead of wanting no trials before victory and no exercise before patience to be willing to take them from God's hands as a means. I say it, and I say it deliberately, that trials, obstacles, difficulties, and sometimes defeats are the very food of faith. I catch that. What he's saying, he's saying trials, obstacles, difficulties, and sometimes defeats are the very food of faith. It, it's, the, it's the fertile ground by which faith can start to grow. We should take them out of his hands as evidences of his love and his care for us in developing more and more of that faith that he is seeking to strengthen in us. The times that we're praying for something and believing for something and we're seeing no evidence of it, but we're still trusting God anyways, that's the ground that faith begins to grow in. George George Mueller is saying, all right, the, that thing that you've been praying for and believing for and asking for and has not come to pass. Said, that's a ripe ground for, for faith to grow, to blossom, saying, God, I'm gonna trust you anyways. I'm gonna I'm gonna follow after you, I'm gonna listen for you, I'm gonna come to you even in those moments. And so I want I wanna close our service today a little bit differently than we typically do. And, and what I'm what I'm gonna ask everybody just to do is just to Take a moment just to just to reflect, and see if maybe we might be bold this morning to take a step of faith. And and so I I would just want to ask you: like, is there something you've been believing for? Is there something that you've been praying for? Something that you've been trying to have faith for? And and maybe maybe your faith is only is hanging on by a thread right now, and and you're trying to trust God. You're trying to believe that it's going to come to pass. And maybe you've just not been seeing it. You know, maybe you're, you're praying and believing for a miracle of some kind, and you're just saying, God, I, I need you to come through. Maybe it's for a family member or for a loved one who's far from God. Maybe it's for a financial need or some other kind of uh, medical need that you might have. Or, or maybe, maybe it's just a struggle that you alone are carrying, that nobody else knows about. And it's just something that you're walking with. You're dealing with yourself. and you're carrying it. you just need to say, God, I'm just trusting you for this. I have nowhere else I can go. I have nothing else I can do. I'm believing, and I'm asking, will you come through? If that's you this morning, and I want you to be brave as a step of faith. I'm not asking you to come up to the front. I'm not asking you to share it with everybody. But if there's something that you are praying for, if there's something that you're believing God for, if there's something you're trying to have faith for and you haven't yet seen it, would you be willing to be bold and take a step of faith and stand up right now? Would you be willing to do it? If, if I wasn't already standing, I would be right now. Absolutely. Praise God. This is an amazing sight up here. See that we have a room full of people that are praying and believing God for something, even if we're not seeing it yet. We're trusting and having that faith that he's going to come through. And I tell you, one of the things that we've been called to do as a body of believers, as a body of Christ, is to lift one another up in prayer. That there's times when you might not have faith, but your neighbor next to you might. That we pray for one another, that we believe for one another, that we lift for and encourage one another. If you read story in the gospels where there was four friends that they brought a, a they wanted to bring their, their friend who was hurting he was lame to Jesus and there was no room for him and so they literally took him up, up on the roof and they pulled the roof apart and dropped him down right in front of Jesus and Jesus said it was because of their friend, his friend's faith that he was healed and made well there's times we need one another's faith, we might not have faith for ourselves but we can believe for one another and so I wanna, what I want to do right now is I just want to close out right now, and I just want to pray for all of you that are believing God for something, that are holding on to faith, even if it's not been coming to pass. Would you close your eyes and let me pray for you right now? And Father, we just thank you, God, so much for who you are. God, we thank you that you are a miracle-working God, that you still do it today, Lord, and we trust you and we believe you for it. God, that those days are not past but God, that you are still doing them. You're still answering prayer. You're still coming through and moving on your people's behalf. God, I, I stand here with my brothers and sisters here today, with my church family, and I'm asking God for you to do a miraculous thing. God, where their faith is, is maybe struggling to, to hold on they're struggling to believe, Lord, that they've been trying to to have faith, they've been trying to hold on, and they've not seen it yet. God, that you would continue, that you would do that miracle for them. I ask that you, would, would you guys repeat after me, that Lord, I believe. Lord, I trust you. And God, help me overcome my unbelief. Lord, we do trust you today. And Lord, we just confess, Lord, those, those areas, those places where maybe we are struggling, maybe we're having doubts, maybe we're beginning to question. But God, we stand firm today saying, Lord, that we trust you fully. We trust you completely, Lord. God, I thank you for my friends here today. I thank you for this church family. I don't know what their needs are, and I don't need to know. God, you do. And God, I just I pray, Lord, that you would just combine the faith of of every man, every woman, every child in this building right now today, that we just combine our faith and we just proclaim and say here today, Lord, that we're going to trust you, that we're having faith, we're holding on, we're not letting go, and we're believing you're going to make it happen, even if we don't see it right now. Father, bless my friends. Bless my church family here today. In Jesus' name, amen.